Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our presentation on estate planning, or as we like to call it, planning outside of the box. Yeah, this is one of these things that is inevitable for you. It's going to happen eventually. We're just never sure exactly when it's going to happen. And there's a, a quote that we dug up from the playwright, George Bernard Shaw. I knew if I waited around long enough, something like this would happen. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with this today, right, Colin? We're not just going to be dead serious the whole time. Oh, absolutely. And hey, for the record, my name's Colin White, and this is my, my good buddy, Josh, uh, another key member of the team. And there'll be a little bit of a test later so you can figure out exactly Josh's age, because many people are concerned about that. Uh, usually the age jokes come in, you know, halfway through. So you've got it out of the way this early, Colin. I'm really impressed. Uh, we're also joined by Louise Waterfall today. She's a lawyer uh, joining us from her practice, her private practice, Waterfall Law. And she specializes in wills and estates and real estate. So perfect uh, accompaniment to Colin and I today. We've worked with her quite a bit over the past couple of years. And she's a great resource when we're talking about all the legal aspects of estate planning. So welcome, Louise, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Josh. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is start off with a, a little bit of a, a poll. And this is where Josh's age comes in. This is actually right away because, you know, in you know posing this question, I made the joke that I had my raspberry beret in my closet at home and I had to take Josh offline and explain to him the significance of owning a Raspberry Beret. So, you know, for those in the crowd who are taking notes, there's your first note to establish the true age of, of Josh Shellick. So the, here are your choices. We want to find out if most Canadians are in, uh, in the, the, the spirit of Prince, uh, the Raspberry Beret comment, which again, I do actually own one, or no will or estate plan. What do you think, Josh? Well, I think it's, you mentioned the Raspberry Beret a couple of times, so it's got to be that. If you have one, I, I have to figure most Canadians have one somewhere. Well, it was popular in my high school, but then again, that was a small high school in Nova Scotia. So, so are we getting uh, some results on our poll? Yeah, it looks like uh, most of our audience is, is going with C, that uh, they have no will or state plan. All right, so it is true. The... He did not have a will when he died. Now, Angus Reid did a study on this, and approximately 51% of Canadians don't have a will. And a further 35% have a will that's not up to date. So the actual percentage of Canadians that do have a will is a little alarming to those of us in the profession of helping people uh, get wills and things of that nature. So, but Josh, I hear it's not all that inexpensive to, to, to die. Yeah, not only does the estate planning and settlement process take a long time, but it's also not cheap. The uh, National Funeral Directors Association, they did, a, a, again, a little bit of a study and they decided that the national median cost of a traditional funeral viewing, so pretty basic, was about $7,600. And that, that same report said that the national median cost of an adult cremation uh, with a visitation was about 5100 And they, listen, and this is a good important point right here. The will can actually make it less expensive and can make it shorter. So that's why it's very important. Then there are rules in place uh, provincially to handle what happens if somebody passes away without a will. Uh, maybe you can take us through a little bit what happens there because I don't think the money just evaporates, right? That's right, Josh. There's some legislation called the Succession Law Reform Act that outlines the distribution of your estate if you die without a will. You're, um, contrary to many myths, 
Uh, the government isn't automatically the beneficiary of your estate. If you die without a will, your family are likely to be the beneficiaries, but the distribution might not be as you'd like. When setting up a will, many spouses name each other as the first and only beneficiary if one of them survives the other, with children named in the event that something happens to both of them or when the second person passes, passes away. Without a will, that wouldn't happen. A surviving spouse and children share the estate according to the legislation. If you want to say in what happens, you'll need to have a will. And another thing to note, although it's a little outside the scope of this presentation, is just a reminder, we're focusing on wills today, but powers of attorney are an equally important part of planning for your future. Right, so wills, powers of attorney, very important, not to be neglected. And one of the tasks that's involved with putting together a will is choosing an executor. And we're not trying to scare you to death or anything here, but being the executor, not a role to be taken lightly. Uh, just to, to give you a personal anecdote, I have a close family member who's gone through this experience over the last year. It's been very time consuming. Now, fortunately, she's, she's retired, so she's able to dedicate the time to it. But it's also been a bit overwhelming and, and I'd say definitely a bit stressful for her. So, uh, you know, we're a year in of what's been a pretty simple estate for her uh, and it's still going on. Probably another three months before we're, we're up to concluding that one. So. A number of factors to consider. Time is one of them when choosing an executor. There can be a lot of ground to cover for, for the individual chosen. Luis, great question for you. What are a few things that, that, the, that you should choose or what rather you should think about when choosing an executor? You need to think that about whether this person is going to be capable of the task that you're asking them to do for you. They need to be able to manage your family or beneficiaries. And these dynamics will be different from, for everyone. You may have family that get along great, but some of them are more wealthy and some of them are less so. You may have some one member of the family or a couple that don't get along. So likely your executor will need to be diplomatic. It can certainly, you can imagine, be a challenge to manage families that don't get along or have differing strong views on what their relative wanted or maybe even what they should have wanted. You need to consider the complexity of your finances to determine who will be able to manage them for you when you pass away. If you own a company or you have a complicated asset management plan, you need someone that's going to understand your plan and vision. For example, can they wind up your business or prepare for sale? Consider where your executor lives. They need to be a Canadian resident. And if they're not local, there may be increased expenses required for them to travel to deal with your estate asset. Um, you also need to have somebody who has enough time. Josh mentioned this. It can take some flexibility in their lifestyle to be able to manage this additional task that you've asked them to complete. Um, you need to uh, also think about their age and the health of the person that you're asking to act as your executor. Uh, it leads me to a reminder to also make sure you've included a few alternates to act in something. If something were to happen to the person you've chosen for your first choice, accidents happen, health conditions change, people move. If you aren't sure if you have the right person in mind, or you think you need another backup plan, you may want to name a professional executor like a lawyer or a trust company. Many people choose to name a spouse or a family member. For some, this might be a great choice, but ensure you've considered the points uh, discussed above and uh, that anyone you've named understands when it might be a good idea to pass over the role when the time comes and that they shouldn't feel an, an obligation to act on your behalf. If they can't take on this task, it's not the right thing for them to do. Right. So all good things there, Luis. Uh, so thanks for that. 
Now you're at this point, you've chosen an executor, you, you've passed away. And so what does the process actually look like for that executor? We want to take you through it a little bit so you understand what's going to be going through through their mind and through their life. Now, maybe you don't care much, you, you've, you're gone now, you've passed away, but uh, we thought you, you may uh, sort of preemptively want to plan for this. So we're a financial institution ourselves. We have a lot of assets to settle uh, all the time when our clients pass away. So if you were an executor coming to us, We'd ask you to have a will. We'd ask you to have a death certificate. We'd ask you, you to have the names, addresses, and bank account info of any of the beneficiaries uh, of the accounts that, that you have here or that the, uh, the settler has here. And then we can get started with things on our end. But there's a lot more that goes into it than that for the executor. So step one, pretty crucial step, make sure you get the will. Uh, another story, we had a client pass away last year. There was a will in place. Everybody knew there was a will in place, but when her beneficiaries, her executor went to go find it, they couldn't find it. They stripped down her, her entire home, looked left and right at the legal office that did it. They could not find the will. So they knew it existed, but couldn't find it. Again, it, it's super important that not only uh, is your will done, <laughs> is your will uh, in place, but also that the people that you're leaving behind know where to find it. So the second step here we have, Luis, is to be the lawyer, and that's you. So how about you give us a little bit more of a walkthrough of what the, the estate settlement process looks like for an executor? Sure, Josh. I just want to also add something else as to where that will could be, because that's certainly something that I've had many clients and family uh, members struggle with trying to find that will. So as Josh mentioned, it could be with the lawyer that drafted the will. It could be at home. Uh, and it also could be a safety deposit box. There's also uh, online registries or something that's starting to be used, which basically allows you to say where that will is. And um, there isn't yet a, a sort of comprehensive registry, but more people are using it. So hopefully they'll get a little bit better. And the will could also be stored and they call it deposited at a local courthouse. Um, as a side note, if the lawyer that drafted the will has passed away and their firm has closed, you can always reach out to the law society. That's something we get often as a question. Once you have a will, as Josh mentioned, first step, meet with a lawyer. Even if you think it's a simple will with very few assets, it's good to consult with the lawyer and make sure you're not missing anything. They can help outline the process and whether you'll really need to go through the probate process or not. I've seen it go both ways where they thought they needed probate but didn't. And likewise, where they thought they could skip that part of the process and after the fact were struggling to uh, claw back funds that they'd already distributed. After you've spoken with a lawyer, you'll complete most of the same uh, steps that Josh mentioned with contacting the institutions and obtaining certificates and opening estate accounts. Um, but you'll also go through the probate process if it's required with a lawyer. It's actually called an application for a certificate of appointment with a state trustee as a state trustee with a will or without a will as applicable. And you can see that's quite a mouthful and why we call it the probate process. Essentially, the court's formally appointing you and, and recognizing you as the executor. And that'll give you authority to deal with all of the assets of the estate. All the institutions or organizations that you need to deal with will want to see that you have obtained that document in order to release the asset to you. Um, once you've dealt with the debts and assets of the estate, you'll finalize accounts and be ready to distribute the estate to beneficiaries. A couple items to uh, remember to do to protect yourself as an executor include advertising for creditors to make sure that there aren't any unknown debts that you don't easily find in, in their paperwork. 
and to obtain clearance from the CRA before the final distribution. It's important to remember that executors can't delegate their decisions, but professional advice is invaluable. Get assistance from lawyers, accountants, and financial advisors on how to manage the estate. Great, Louise. So yeah, not so simple uh, all the time, but we're going to change gears a little bit now and talk about what you may actually want to do with your money. Now, Colin, we've had a couple weird requests over the years. I'm sure you have. Uh, how about pets? Uh, that's come up a few times, right? Oh, no, pets have made the list. And the other, the, the more, I always believe in the keep it simple, stupid principle, the KISS principle. It's, it's very important when it comes to these things because I've watched people try to, you know, this child gets 17%, this child gets 13%, this child gets, it's just a recipe for a lawsuit. Uh, so, you know, when, when people are, are getting really, really finicky with their requests, you know, it's important to realize is it practical what you're doing and also get some legal advice on whether or not it's enforceable. Because again, there's certain things you can run into in different provinces about not being able to disinherit a wife, not being able to disinherit a family member. I mean, there's all kinds of requests that you can get into that are a little, you know, off color or unintended. I had one client or it was, wasn't a client actually, this was something that came to my desk after the fact where somebody had tried to keep it simple. And, you know, the family was warring. They were laying in their hospital bed, enjoying their final few days. And they had to, you know, try to adjudicate this. So they came up with the idea, all right, great. This half of the family gets all my life insurance. This half of the family gets all my RSPs. Great, I'm done. I'm just going to die now. Well, as it turns out, all the RSPs were actually held at a life insurance company. By the letter of the law, therefore, were insurance contracts. So the court found that everything was actually an insurance contract. And one family got everything. The other half of the family got nothing. So again, you need to make these decisions with a little bit of solid professional advice. Now, Josh, I haven't seen the pet thing recently. Has that come across your desk in the last couple of months? Not for me specifically, but we're going to launch our second poll here, Colin, and we do have a, a couple uh, weird scenarios that we've come up in the past. So we want to know from our audience what you think the strangest bequest is out of this list of four. So is it John Porter Bowman? who, uh, when he passed away, he had his, his estate prepare a full meal, full, whatever, three-course dinner every night just in case his family came back in the afterlife and were hungry. Is that Mark Grunewald, who uh, actually had himself cremated and he mixed his ashes with ink that could be used to print comic books? Is it Robert Louis Stevenson, who actually gifted or requested his birthday to a friend of his, I'm not sure if that meant she got two birthdays or had to exchange one for the other. Or is it Leona Helmsley who had actually gave $12 million to her lovely dog, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, that 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 comic book one I find a little creepy myself. Um, you know, that, that's even left me with a little bit of unease. Uh, I wonder if it's known which comic books that, the, that his ashes are actually contained in. That's something I'd want to know. Do you think that makes it worth more or less? I'm not entirely sure, but I definitely know I want to know where it is. <laughs> That's right. So we, we have uh, the answers rolling in here, Colin, and it seems like we're we're kind of fairly mixed between what uh, bequest is the strangest. So let's uh, just chalk it up to they're all a little bit weird. How about that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Thanks, Catherine. All right. So let's let's talk about your priorities because this this for me is where the rubber kind of hits the road, and that's a big part about what this presentation is about. This can't be comprehensive advice on every way to build an estate, but hopefully we can give you some ideas on different thoughts about 
how you want to set your estate up. Um, yeah, so one of the things, you know, East Coast expression for you, you know, do you want to be buried upside down so the world can kiss your donkey? Um, that, that's a perfectly legit thing. Uh, you know, some people, they have limited uh, opinions on what they would like to see have and happen in the afterlife, and, and that's perfectly legit. No, no judgment. You get to be that, you know. And, oh, sorry, I've got to get caught up here. Oh, taxation. So this is a big one for people. Uh, and this is also one we caution people on because, again, it's the tax tail wagging the dog. You know, some people really get bent up and I want to absolutely minimize my tax. And with that goes minimizing my probate. And they twist themselves into a pretzel and there's all kinds of unintended consequences with that. So we really caution people to try to be practical in what they're doing and also not drag problems forward into their existing living life you know, just to try to avoid a problem in their estate. Again, we've talked about earlier about simplifying. We want to make sure that it's as simple as possible. And that's because life doesn't go in a straight line. And the more detailed your plan is, you know, or the more complicated your plan is, the more opportunity is there for something to, to, to get in the way and cause a speed bump. And again, that goes back to, to flexibility, right? So if, if the rules change, if tax rules change, if your relationship with your child changes, you need to have a flexible will. Or if we've had instances where parents have gifted uh, assets to a child in order for estate planning purposes and then things go sideways and they would like the asset back please that's problematic that can cause them distress within a family unit so again trying to maintain flexibility and not creating problems for yourself while you're still alive variety for beneficiaries and again this is something beyond the scope of, of what we have the time for today uh, you know it can involve things different natures of trust and things of that nature but at least, you know, in the planning process, you should be aware. Do I have a dependent child because of age? Is it a dependent child because of a disability? Do I have dependent nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, parents that needs to be, you know, brought into the will and make sure. And this is where, you know, professional advice can come in because sometimes your objectives will conflict a little bit and you need to kind of you know, maximize, minimize, right? You need to make sure that you get as much of everything that you're looking for. And also understand the trade-off. The role of a professional advisor, whether it's a lawyer, an accountant, or a financial advisor, is to give you the information that you can make a decision on, right? We should be asking you the good questions. We should be posing you know, ideas to you that make you think things all the way through and bring a perspective to the table. And you know, again, this is where you know, setting priorities is going to be important. Uh, again, some people it's tax, some people I need to, I want to build a wing on at the, the, the university, or I want to make sure my kids never have to work again, or I want everybody to have a hot air balloon, you know, what, whatever's important to you. That's, that's what our job is to do. Right. This is maybe a good time when you're planning these things out to get all of your advisor, well, it's professional, financial, legal in the room together, have a conversation. Maybe it's not a room together these days. Maybe it's a Zoom conversation. But uh, give everybody have a conversation about what that big picture looks like for you. Just so nobody's surprised. Communication is, is really important when it comes to this type of thing. And that brings us to, to sort of the next uh, piece of the presentation is, is there are pitfalls along the way. And some of your goals, they may be dead in the water if you don't plan things out properly. Another personal anecdote from, from one of our colleagues here, her dad passed away. And her stepsisters wanted to bury him next to his former wife, their mother, and she hadn't been in the picture for 40 years. And of course, uh, for her, she wanted to bury her father next to her mother, 
who was his most recent wife. So these are, are some issues that, that may not really, can you know that perspective, that professional perspective, uh, where that professional perspective may come in handy? So Luis, you've seen a number of these pitfalls play out. What are some of the common issues that arise? So Josh, many people own assets jointly, but there's different types of joint ownership. You need to know if your share of whatever it is that you own will pass directly to the survivor or if it goes to your estate. And sometimes this isn't what you expect or intend. And so it's important to check with your lawyer. Not having a plan, as you've already mentioned, the only way to be sure your wishes are followed is to have a plan. And one that's well prepared. As Josh has just suggested, make sure you've got legal advice, make sure you've got financial advice so that your plan is going to sort of work out as you're expecting it to. Another thing is making sure you have backup plans for your alternate executors or beneficiaries. You wanna make sure that you revisit your will in the future. Um, you wanna make sure it's as up-to-date as possible. Changes in legislation could, could make it so that your estate administration plan no longer makes sense. Um, changes to trusts happen so that they're less common now. Uh, remember that if you don't update your will and something happens to you and you lose capacity, no one, including you, can update your will in the future. Another item is making sure that you have sufficient tax advice. Again, we've already sort of reiterated that a few times in terms of getting your financial plan together. Um, but sometimes if you make a plan, there can be unexpected tax consequences. As Colin mentioned, some people try and eliminate uh, probate process uh, and paying a state administration tax, but they end up with other very high taxes or administration problems down the road. And finally, something else we've also already mentioned is communication. First, you're with your advisors to make sure you can avoid as many of these pitfalls as possible. And then with your family, don't fall into the trap of thinking that your family will work it out. Some families won't, no matter what you do. But sometimes all that's missing is a shared understanding of what your intentions work, uh, were to begin with. If you speak with your important people about what your wishes are, whether it's healthcare, um, where you want to be living as you age, or the distribution of your assets when you're gone, they'll have a better idea of what your plans were. And if you don't want to speak about them uh, to them about what's in your will, and some people don't, and that's totally okay, but letters can be a very helpful tool. Uh, it can be helpful for your family to understand what your wishes were, and also to know um, what to do as time goes on and explain what you were what you were thinking. But similar to the will, those letters are only as helpful as them being found. So your executor or family need to know that the letters exist and where to find them. Excellent. Thanks, Louise. Listen, a quick note, we've got a couple of questions coming in, so we're going to get to the questions at, at the end, so as many of them as, as we can have time for. But we're going to soldier on here. So strategies. So again, there's a lot of talk out there, and again, there's a lot of people who are going to try to get your attention by having a really fancy brand hammer new strategy uh, to improve your estate. And it's you know important to kind of you know lump these together and then to take a good hard look as to whether or not it's it's truly effective. And Louise has, has commented on sometimes really complicated strategies about avoid, avoiding probate and stuff like that do end up causing a lot more trouble. Uh, so again, it's always a cost-benefit analysis when you're doing them. And again, we're, we've got limited uh, bandwidth here where we appreciate your time today. We want to make full use of it. So some of these topics are quite in-depth. We can spend a lot of time on, but we're just going to kind of hit the high loads here. So one thing is life insurance. So with life insurance, you have the ability to put tax-free liquid money into your estate. And life insurance is the absolutely the best 
tool for doing that. There's all kinds of tax reasons why there's an advantage there. So if there's some, if there's a need for liquidity in your estate or a need that you really want to grow your estate for some reason, life insurance can be a great tool to do that. We personally at Waila will recommend using very simple life insurance products. There's some very complicated stuff out there. And quite frankly, the complication, again, goes against the, the, the presentation we're giving today about keeping things simple. So again, good, simple, basic life insurance is a very powerful tool. Charitable giving. This is a conversation we have with our clients often. In fact, we've got an award-winning member of our team, uh, philanthropic giving. Uh, so charitable giving is an important thing. And to balance that while you're alive and in your estate, you know, how, what, what looks best for you? What makes you feel the best? What is the most tax effective for the charity and for you? So charitable giving is something that can enter into your estate planning that can be a good tool for magnifying your impact on the next generation. Trusts, again, trust is a big topic. I would caution that the the complexity of trusts makes them you know not all that great for smaller bequests. I mean, and by small, I'm even talking about a fifty thousand dollar bequest. It's very difficult to set up and effectively run trust. But again, having said that, there are other ways to, to skin the cat because there's different organizations that offer you know trust like products. So again, with some professional advice, you can find some alternatives there. And getting advice, you know, again, this hopefully today we've we've opened up your your eyes to some of the different topics of conversation that uh, you need to have with your professional advisors to get answers for your situation. Again, this we don't have the time or the ability in this presentation to give very specific advice to every situation, but hopefully we can help you know give you a little bit more of a foundation to speak with whoever you're going to talk to about your situation. And the multiple will thing is something that. Louise, I'm going to get you to elaborate on because I've just completely gone out of my depth and I'm going to stop here before I say something stupid. So having multiple wills is the idea that you have one primary will to deal with most of your estate. And it includes anything that's going to require probate. If you have assets that can be dealt with without the probate process or appointing a certificate of appointment, those can be put into a secondary will or a tertiary will and so on. And that those items are then excluded from the estate for the purposes of calculating and paying your estate administration tax. Um, they can also be dealt with more efficiently because you're not waiting for a certificate of appointment in order to deal with them. And they can also be dealt with privately since they avoid the public probate process. Although you uh, might not be familiar with them um, or see them as often, it's not uncommon to have a secondary will if you own shares in a private corporation or if you own a property that hasn't been transferred since it's been administratively moved into Ontario's land title system. So those are two sort of, of the most common uh, times that people will use a secondary will. Well, thank you very much, Louise. Again, I'm, I'm still gonna say I'm out of my depth and if anybody asks me that question, I'm just gonna send them to you. Okay. The whole point of this, this presentation is to try to open your eyes to some of the uh, options that are out there for you. and. You know, sometimes people get paralyzed that they can't make decisions because, you know, they think there's a problem that, that is insurmountable. And, you know, so they're reluctant to do it. And that's a big percentage of the population. Sometimes talking to professionals is actually going to give you a different perspective and allow you a way forward. So, you know, it should be a way to potentially reduce your anxiety and, you know, put you in a better place. And you know, when financial advice or when legal advice is doing the right thing, that's what you can hope to get out of it. So thanks for your time today. And I want to turn it over to Josh, I think, who's going to open up to questions and he and I can go back and forth on them. How's that? Yeah, sure. So thanks, Colin. So just rolling in with questions here, Colin. We have a question from John here. What about RSPs? So that's a, that's the full extent of the question. Maybe a little bit broad there, but when setting a beneficiary or, or the company 
Uh, what's some of the uh, helpful advice that you can provide on that, Colin? Sure, I'll try to you know, give you the Coles notes here. Again, it can get a lot more complicated than this, but a standard RSP you know, typically is eligible for a spousal rollover. So you can roll between husband and spouse on a tax deferred basis. So that tends to be a really good planning tool. If there's not a spouse in the picture, then you know it's going to, there's some situations where it can go to a dependent child um, on a tax deferred basis, but that's a little bit wonky, but it's, it's, it's available. But moreover, it's gonna become taxable in your final estate. There's no estate tax per se in Canada, but anything that you own in your portfolio that is tax deferred will become taxable in your estate. And Louise, in one of our earlier conversations, was talking about the idea that putting a beneficiary on an RSP and having the money go directly to a beneficiary leaves the estate in the position of having to pay the tax bill on it. And if the estate does not have the tax bill, CRA is going to figure out where the money went and then go after the beneficiary. So this is one of the ones where, you know, again, a, a properly written will document will do a much better job of making sure that things get allocated properly without causing undue stress on the beneficiaries. Uh, but that's the Coles notes on RSPs, but it can get even more complicated than that. So again, I reach out to us or whoever you're dealing with, and we can go through your situation and see if there's any other wrinkles in there we need to worry about. Uh, next one, next question, Josh, I'll throw it back to you. Or actually, Louise, you may jump in, because uh, this gets into the legalities, I think, of being able to disinherit somebody from your estate. Uh, if you have a blended family where one child hasn't spoken to you for years, is that something that, uh, how, from a legal perspective, how do you deal with that? Um, that's certainly something that we see from time to time. Um, and part of, you know, I'll qualify, I practice in Ontario. So in, in other provinces, there's certainly um, been some court cases that uh, will make it more or less possible to do so. Um, but in Ontario, certainly it's possible to not include them in the will. Um, what I recommend clients do is ensure that that's specified uh, in the will. You keep the will simple, but you do include information that makes it easier for someone to understand what your intention was. So if it's clear that you were choosing, you know, you turned your mind to it and you were choosing not to include this person, then it's much harder to challenge that will down the road. And again, it could also be something where if you have a letter to either the executor or even to um, the child that you haven't spoken with for years that you're choosing not to include, um, you can explain why you made that decision. And that doesn't necessarily mean that people agree, but it can make a difference to um, to help them understand. And, and if they're a reasonable person, it can make them uh, less likely to, to sort of bring a claim against the estate. So Josh, it sounds like a large plane is landing just outside of your office right now. Are you okay to take the next question? Yeah, they decided to do some construction today uh, in the office here. So great timing, right? Couldn't, couldn't it be better? Um, do you want to take the, the the question about the will? Yeah, sure. So Jim asks here, is there a simple form that one can fill out and then go to a lawyer? So I'll just add, answer this kind of from my perspective and pass it over to you as well, Luis. So uh, when I was working with Luis, actually, to, to formulate my will, there's a, a few page intake form. It's not one page. There's going to be a, several questions on that. But that kind of gets through some of the high level details about what I wanted to do uh, with with my will. And then at least it's sort of preemptive. And then when we sat down with uh, with the lawyer, with Luis, uh, we could go through and dig into some of those details uh, a little bit deeper. Is that sort of the norm when working with the lawyer, uh, Luis, or what should we expect out there when, when meeting with a lawyer for the first time? 
Yeah, Josh, I think that most lawyers, that's going to be sort of the the way people will collect information. Um, there's a lot of sort of basic information and background information uh, that's helpful to make sure that the lawyer has the big picture. And some of that will inform what you're actually wanting your plan to look like. And some of that will just make sure that there aren't any sort of items that have been missed. Um, so most lawyers are going to send you some version of an intake form, whether that's online, whether it's a paper form, whatever um, their version is, and they're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. And it allows you, as you said, to get into sort of the background and, and what your goals are. And, and then there'll be uh, a follow up to that with the lawyer and they can sort of touch base and make sure they're, they're making a plan with you that's covering off what you're interested in. Well, thanks, Louise. There's another question here about uh, can the beneficiary be your executor? Now, I would suggest yes, but be careful you're putting somebody in a potentially difficult situation if there's any dispute regarding you know, the settlement of the will. Because the executor basically takes ownership of the whole estate and then is responsible for passing it out. And if they're passing it to themselves and one of their siblings doesn't like that, then you know that person could be in a little bit of jeopardy. So be a little bit sensitive to your executor. I've only ever met one person in my entire life who has been an executor who was only to do it a second time. Uh, you know, so it's typically not a whole lot of fun. So just be really aware of your landscape when you're when you're putting somebody in that position to be giving themselves money. Uh, you know, who are the people in the world who who may uh, disagree with that or have an issue with that or have legal standing to challenge that? And again, that, that can also get into spouses and creditors. You know, the the financial situation of people that you put in uh, in roles in your estate can also impact how things roll. But again, that's another whole set of videos. Uh, and if I'm reading this right, Josh, am I missing any questions? Uh, it looks like if the meet on. So again, I want to thank everybody for the time that you spent with us today. Thanks for your attention. Uh, we really appreciate it. Once again, if you have any questions for us, feel free to hit the button on your screen that's there right now or send us an email at help at wlwp.ca. You can also get in touch with Luis directly. Her contact info, Luis at hlwaterfall.ca. And I think we're going to put this in the uh, the chat box there. Our, our lovely account is going to put it there for us. But again, that's Luis, L-O-U-I-S-E at hlwaterfall, H-L-W-A-T-E, rfall.ca. We'll be happy to hear from you anytime. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. This information has been prepared by the Vericon Group of Companies, which includes Vericon Capital Management, Inc., a registered portfolio manager in all provinces in Canada except Manitoba, Vericon Wealth, Inc., Vericon Mortgage Services, and White LeBlanc Wealth, Inc., through these companies, Vericon Group offers insurance, tax planning, and mortgage services. The information included in today's podcast is presented for information and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. You should consult your own advisors before making any decisions regarding investments or any aspect of financial planning, and Vericon Group of Companies cannot be held liable for decisions made based on the information as presented. This information is subject to change, and there should be no expectation that it will be updated in the event of changing circumstances. Contact us at clientexperience at for questions.